Everybody and welcome to another True Stories of Tinseltown. I hope everybody's doing great. It's the end of the summer, boo-hoo-hoo. But I have a fabulous guest for you today. His name is Jerome Sharon, and we're going to talk about his book that he wrote, Big Red. And hello. Hi, Jerome. Hello, Grace. How are you? I am fabulous. And how are you? Oh, working hard as usual. (laughs) (laughs) Good. I'm so glad you came on because, hi, Rachel. Rachel had been talking to me since June and sent me a copy of the book and the whole thing and said that we would be doing it in August, end of August, September, and finally we're doing it. So um, I love the book. It's called Big Red. It is great, Jerome. It's fun. It's sad. It's it's an easy read. I wanted to finish it in one day, but I had other things to do. So I finished it in two days. And I was just really into it, you know, because it is a nonfiction. It, it's a fiction, everybody, but there is so much nonfiction and so much reality because um, it's the main characters are Rita Hayworth and um, Orson and Welles. Orson Welles. Right. Yeah, well, you have to remember that... Um in some way, I grew up in Hollywood. That was really, uh, as a child, I went to the movies all the time. I dreamt of, uh, you know, that Hollywood Boulevard when I visited it. And I visited it for the first time in my 40s. was almost like home. So I was able to write about it with a kind of, uh, you know, knowledge, not so much knowledge, but instinct, you know, as if I were on that boulevard uh, uh, with Rusty Redburn, who's the narrator. I loved, oh. I loved Rusty. She was a yeah. riot. Corduroy wearing, rootin' tootin', cool old Rusty right. Redburn. Yeah. And she is her narrator. She is uh, a really great character. And well, I needed one because yeah. I, when I originally was going to write it, I, I was originally going to write a book about Orson Welles, so I read every biography I could. And he was so full of himself. Every other sentence was a lie. You know, so <laughs> how do you how do you make him sympathetic? You know, I mean, nothing he says is the truth. You know, it's always exaggerated. Um, and also, it angered me because he said something about reader that was so cruel. Uh, and the last, the day before he died, he was on television. Really? Wow. Yes. And uh, I don't remember whether it was Robert Frost's show. You know, I, I don't know whose show it was. I'm, I'm, I only know that he was on television. And um, the, the uh, narrator said to him, you know, Orson, you know, uh, Rita loved you uh, all her life. And uh, she felt that she was only happy with you. And his answer was, if she called this happiness, you can imagine what the rest of her life was like. Now, that was so gratuitous. So yeah, cruel. sad. Pitiful. Someone who, who really loved him, who adored him. And uh, that's why I really could not write 
in his voice, you know. Right. And I couldn't write in Rita's voice, so I invented Rusty Redburn. Uh, she's a gay woman who uh, comes to Hollywood. And once I had the first sentence, I really could sort of dig into the book because it was familiar terrain, you know. I knew that terrain. Uh, yeah, because you had read Orson's uh <laughs> Yeah, but uh, but also Hollywood was was really my home. Even though I I didn't as a kid growing up at the movies, uh, you know, I read all these magazines about Hollywood and uh, just being on Hollywood and Vine and seeing that sort of uh, um, painting on the wall of all the Hollywood stars. I mean, this was in the eighties when you know, I was very run down. But you know, seeing a Grauman's Chinese Theater. It was like coming home, you know. So I understand. It gave, yeah. gave me a certain advantage, you know. I wasn't writing about foreign territory. Yeah, I started loving classic films because, um, you know, the midnight movies or whatever they'd have them on right. or whatever. And and then when TCM came on, ga-boom, ba-boom, I be, fell in love with everybody and everything. Yeah, but I, I saw these films as a kid, you see, so uh, they, they were not historical to me. Mm-hmm. They, you know, I saw uh, Gilda when it first came out. Wowee! Uh, uh, so uh, I saw Duel in the Sun when it first came out. Jennifer and Jones, right? And Jen- yeah, Gregory it sort of influenced, influenced the rest of my life. I thought, you know, love was about killing each other. You know, <laughs> so, uh, it really, uh, it, it really uh, the first sentence of, uh, of that book was how Hollywood ruined my life. And in a way, it probably did, because... <laughs> It made you want to fall in love with impossible women that only existed on the screen, you know. Yeah. So I had a good time, right? You know, it, it's always difficult to write a novel, as you can imagine. Yes. Because you have to keep the narrative flowing, you know, the music, the force of, you know, it's almost like a symphony that has to modulate and change tone, and yet the narrative has to move forward. But, um, I loved all the characters, you know, the villains and, you know, Harry Cohn, and he was an awful man, but somehow I was able to write about it. It was wonderful. You did. And um, like you said, that you wanted people to get to know Rita and also to get the drift of her sadness in her life because you just didn't go. So did you read a Rita biography after you read Orson's? Oh, I read many biographies, <laughs> and the thing is, once I found out that her father had violated her and used her as a kind of sexual pawn, Pig, yeah. uh, you understand why her life was so bleak. She was so shy. She, was, she lacked any kind of confidence. She didn't go beyond the eighth grade, so she had no education, and there she was in love with Orson Welles, who, you know, who was so worldly, who, you know, knew Shakespeare. Very pompous so, about it, let's face it. <laughs> he's pompous, so, so she hires Rusty to really be her instructor. And, of course, Rusty, the spy for Harry Cohn. But so that was the germ of the book. I mean, that, that reader and Orson hire Rusty. And they become a kind of trio, you know. That's, she falls you know, in love movie, with them, they fall in love with her. They love her. Yeah, and if a movie is made, and I hope it will be made, uh, that's what the movie would be about, those three characters. Which is great. And um, 
Rita met Orson, and they lived together prior to marriage. Yes. She lived at at Woodrow Wilson Drive uh, in the Hollywood Hills in in his rented home. Uh, She also had an apartment, and then... uh, and then they, after they broke up, she moved. She moved someplace else. But um, um, somehow, you know, it, it it should have worked. But what was, you know, there was everything right about Orson and everything wrong about him. He needed the technical facilities of Hollywood to make his greatest films. But you know, he was a dynamiter. I mean, he was a destroyer as much as a creator. So. Uh, he ruined himself as he created, and I, I find him the most fascinating filmmaker of all time. And uh, and she and their story together is is a very interesting. It one. really is, and the way you yeah. capture it is great. I mean, obviously, you know, you put words in their mouth, whatever, but the whole gist of their personas of who they are. Um, to yeah. me, it was very real, and because I also read Orson Welles' biographies and Rita right. and the whole Nine Yards, and I know right. that whole story. And um, like I said, I'm reading along, and I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's it's just adorable with Rusty in her corduroys, <laughs> just with these kids. Right. And then they get married, Rita and yeah. Orson, despite Harry Cohn, because he uh, he wants to take. Her out of Orson's magic show. So despite <laughs> him, they get married, and then he he has to be nice to Orson because, you know, Columbia w- was part of Poverty Row. It wasn't one of the major studios, and Re- Rita was the first star that he had. Yeah. So he had to find a place for Orson, and of course, Orson makes the lady from Shanghai, which is featured which is- very much in your book. Yeah, which is really, the book is about the making of the Lady of Shanghai and the destruction of Orson and and really the destruction of Rita because once he cuts her hair, you know, it's like Samson. It's like a female Samson. She never really recovers. She's not, uh, you know, she was, she came at the right time. She was the biggest star in the world in 1946. Fifties, she's no longer. Even though she appears as a star, she doesn't have the same sexual power. Right, like so with it, um, uh, Gilda, like the line she yeah. allegedly said: "They go to bed with Gilda and they wake up with me." Hence, they're just dis- dis- they wake up with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah that would you know they they wake, they go to bed with a fantasy and yes. wake up with a human being yeah so, morning breath uh, my hair is here whatever but, yeah. but one would have to say that this is the predicament of all men it's not only orson right. i think men men happen to be that way it's a false sense of romance and part of this was started by hollywood yeah, search for the ideal, beautiful, sexual female, you know, you know, who, who where love is passion and 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 anxiousness and hate and ends in a duel like duel in the sun. You know? <laughs> yes, so this is what a kid from a Bronx 
grows up thinking that, well, okay, I'll fall in love. It will be a disaster and I'll move on. (laughs) Next. This is not a formula for survival. No, nor for for a healthy relationship. And it's it's a terrible, terrible um, vision of women, you know, of, 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 of sexuality and a false one. No one can live up to that. Not even the women poor, like Rita. None of these women no, can no, live up no to that image. No one should have to live up to exactly. that. Exactly. The thing is that um, women were violated in many, many ways uh, by the, the so-called golden age. And I'm not sure it's even that different, except women have more power in the marketplace, but if you look at their salaries, it's always 20% below men. Well, you know, in some respects, I mean, Julia Roberts, I think, was the first woman who got 20 mil, and Sandra Bullock and the others. The reasoning being they can open a film. If you can open a film, they will give you that money. So I think sometimes the price disparity, if it is equal, like if you're in some stupid Marvel film, I'm sorry. I know right. people love the Marvel films. I'm just saying it, okay? No, I hate them. I, I, I believe they are stupid. Yeah. No, you're right. If, if once a, a woman like Julia Roberts uh, can command, you know, can... can Open a uh, film you know, and get them coming out for her. Film, yeah. then, you know, she can command that kind of price. But uh, there are very few of them. And, and also their careers don't last as long as... Right. Uh, Although, maybe now, maybe now it's it's different. different. It is, and also it's it's very different politically because I think uh, I don't want to get into politics, but uh, the the next election will be won or lost by women, by by the but because of what's happened with Roe. I don't want to get into politics. No, we won't. Yeah, Roe versus Wade. I think women will decide the next election, as they should. Yes. So this is interesting. I want to ask you about this, because you, in your thing, you talk about the treat, you know, sort of like questions you can ask you. Treatment of women in the so-called, which fascinates me, I'm air-quoting everybody, so-called, air-quote over, Golden Age of Hollywood. So you don't think it was a golden age of Hollywood? No, I don't think it was a golden age. It certainly wasn't. A, it was a golden age for producers. You know, the producers really determined uh, the success or failure of, of, of a film. They're the ones who put the films out. And remember, when you make a film, if you don't advertise it, it disappears. Mm-hmm. So... Um, it's someone like Orson who defied the system and said, you know, I'm going to do what I want and I'm going to show what I want. Well, then he disappeared for 10, 15 years and then suddenly Citizen Kane resurfaces and you have the director as the real creator of the film. Well, that began, you know, to, to a large degree with Orson Welles. It was also true of Chaplin and Keaton and... and and Eric von Strohan. But in terms of modern Hollywood, if you look at Scorsese, etc., uh, they were all influenced by Orson Welles. Yes, more realist, more realism is what it was. And it's a, you said that you were kind of obsessed with Citizen Kane, hence why you wanted to do a book on Orson. Yes, because I, I was, I taught film and, and Paris. I did, you know, in right. Paris, and, and I... 
did courses on seminars on Orson Welles, and every time I watched Citizen Kane, Citizen Kane and analyzed every scene and the brilliance of every scene, I mean, I, I just uh, was overwhelmed by him. And the fact is that uh, he could never repeat that kind of brilliance because he didn't understand that he was helpless without the Hollywood technicians. Yes, you know? and he would go over budget, and there would be, you know, he, I don't know. I, don't, I guess he just didn't care, but he certainly didn't go by the rules. That's for sure. And well, he, he didn't. Yeah. Go, he, he, didn't he, he made a, a very, a very bad blunder by going to uh, South America before. Uh, uh, Magnificent Amazons was was cut. I think there were two problems with that film. He should have appeared in it, and he should have made the final cut if he had. You know, the word "if" doesn't mean anything because this is what we have. Right. And Citizen, Citizen Kane is is the I think the greatest film ever made, and hmm. I would be willing to fight anyone. Okay, put up, <laughs> put up your dukes. Put up your dukes. I like yeah. the film. I love the film, but is it the greatest film ever made? Mm. I think it is. I know. I, I, would, I So I, I think it, you have the right. We don't have to agree. We don't have to oh, agree. Oh, I totally I get that, because you know what, Jerome? Many, many people agree with you. It's just a matter of taste. But I thought they were all fabulous. I'm a huge fan of Joseph Cotton as well. And um, yeah. in the thing you said, in your book, you said that Orson and the Magnificent Ambersons, you wanted him to take the Tim Holt role. And in, yes. in that where, uh, you know, our our Miss Red, our sweetie, she, you know, asks him or somebody says, and he said, you know, can you see me? I'm not that young boy to grow up. I think, and I liked Tim Holt. He did a lot of good work. I just didn't think he was the best. No, he choice. wasn't up. To, he wasn't up to. He, no. he couldn't carry the film. Not the in the least. It, no, not mm-hmm. the way Orson would have been able to sort of, uh, okay. you know, mesmerize. Yes, he, he mesmerizes the the, the yes. audience. He had the he charisma had that. Yeah. You know, yeah, that powerful and the skills and, and, the, yeah. and the voice, the yes. wonderful voice that he had. Uh, he would, and and the film ended, you know, in its original version, it, it ends up with uh, and Fanny uh, living in well, for people who haven't seen it, I don't want to talk too much about it, but he had a very different uh, ending where, where one of the characters ends up in a boarding house. Uh, impoverished so you we see the, the the Anderson family declining and he was really talking about his own life it was a very autobiographical film which I think uh, would have been uh, a masterpiece if he had not run away I mean uh, he why was did he run away to, Jerome why well, did he skip it, the, the State Department asked him to make a tour now there was a really good reason they were worried that some of the South American governments would be swayed by the Nazis and would join, um, you know, uh, the Axis during the Second World War. So they wanted him to be a kind of goodwill ambassador and go to Brazil and Argentina and really fight for, you know, fight for America, which he which he should not have done before he finished uh, cutting uh, the magnificent amazon but once he didn't act in it 
it, it, it was really rude. That, that's my opinion of the film. And don't you think if he was really into it or happy with it, he would have stayed to cut it? Um, he should have, but remember, when a president of the United true. States... True, that's very true. Something, yeah. it's, it's very hard mm-hmm. not, to, uh, not to obey his command. Yeah. And when Roosevelt said it was necessary, yeah, I, gotcha. uh, I think, uh, but, and he thought he'd be able to cut it, you know, uh, by giving instructions over the, over the phone. Oh, well, yeah. there he was a real fool. He just didn't understand the ways of Hollywood, that absence means, you know, forgetfulness. You know, you're gone once you're not on, there on the set. Right. Out of sight, out of mind. You're you're exactly abracadabra. You're gone. Just like being in love and out of sight, out of mind. I hate that. (laughs) I never. If I'm in love with someone's out of my view and they're gone for a few days, they're still in my mind. But that somebody said to me once in the beginning of my relationship, out of sight, out of mind. It's a nice saying, whether it's true or not. It means that I don't want you to, I love you so much that I don't want you to go away, you know. Let's put it, let's be nice about it. Okay. And not be cynical. (laughs) Okay, back to the golden age of Hollywood, why it is not. You think because they, the producers ruled the roost or what? I think the films are wonderful. Yes, well, some of the films, you know. The actors, the actresses, the the stars. That's also because of the technical facilities that Hollywood had that the European studios didn't have. You know, Hollywood was was movie land. It was a a city of cinema, so you had writers, you had directors, you had cinematographers, you know, and they were all tied together, and there was no competition. The only competition was radio. That's right, it was a studio system, yeah. Yeah, without television, you know, all you did well, you you and and they were able to incorporate radio. For example, when Amos and Andy was on, you could hear it while you were in the movie. So they were very clever about radio, and they had their Hollywood stars make radio, you know, go on the radio. So they governed the radio as much as they governed the films. They were very shrewd about that, but very stupid about television, completely stupid. They thought that by, you know, uh, not allowing their films to be shown, they would win that war, but they didn't win. Yeah, they didn't understand the convenience. Imagine today, you know, you have all these streaming networks. You have this, you have that, that, that. It's kind of crazy. Um, and it goes on and on. You I know. More more streaming networks. You know. So you think, well, they did treat women badly. Look at Rita, you know, that she was, they called her bald, right, after she got her hair cut. And yeah. I thought you know, she was still stunning. stunningly beautiful in uh, Lady from Shanghai. I, I, I happen to agree with you, but I think her fans, you have to remember, all of this was fan-based. It depended right. on. Many. I remember as a kid writing to Alan Ladd and getting a, you know, a photograph of him, and uh, she had thousands and thousands of demands for her autograph, you know, with her red hair, and she lost that viability. Her, her fans complained; they didn't want to see her as a blonde and short hair. So you see it. it uh, the fans imprison you. You know, you have a fan base, and, and uh, it's also true in politics, as you know. But the thing is that um, 
um, you know, her, her fans never forgave her for doing that. Oh, my God. And she never quite recovered. You know, That's that was terrible. so quick. He didn't have to cut her. Why did he cut her hair? He, he did it out of spite. Do he didn't you think have, so? Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. He was totally spiteful, and um, he wanted to uh, to wreck Hollywood in his own way, and all he did was wreck himself, because if the lady from Shanghai had been successful, he could have gone on and done anything he wanted. You know? Right. Well, that's really creepy. That's a very creepy story about him. Do you think he really loved Rita, or was she a prize to him as well? I think he loved, look, any any man who's so much in love with himself, um, he loved her as much as he could considering who he was. I, got I think he did fall in love with her. But, of course, while he was married to her, he was having an affair with Judy Garland. Was he Marilyn. really? Oh, oh absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yuck. So he was not um, not someone with, that one would want to admire. And also, she was such a loving woman that, you know, um, he made a, a terrible blunder career-wise because if he had stuck with her and had continued making films with her, he would have had a Hollywood career. But he still remains, in spite of all of this, the great, filmmaker that Hollywood has produced. That's that's my own feeling. I'm well, I feel you. he was a great filmmaker as well. I do too. Yeah. yeah. I agree with you on that. So, you know, you back to the book, The Fiction. So they were doing The Lady yeah. of Shanghai. Um, they, th- I love this because this is an absolute true story. They rented out Errol Flynn's yacht. Errol Flynn's yacht, which, <laughs> yeah. was, a, which was a stupid idea considering who Errol Flynn was. Uh, Partey, yeah. <laughs> he, was, you know, he was addicted. He was uh, uh, involved with women that he shouldn't have been. You know, we The younger talk set, about yes. Well, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and also he insisted on being on the ship while the film was being made. And so... Uh, he nearly ruined the film, but on the other hand, um, this was Orson's flair. You know, he wanted, he decided on Errol Flynn's yacht, and that's the yacht he was going to get, you know. And Errol, is this, uh, it was in the book, or, or, or I don't know where I read, fact fiction, it's mixing in my head. Did Errol right. actually, Errol did say, or did he not say, that you could only film in the boat if I was there? Yes, that, that's in the book. Yeah, that's yes. what he said. and that is an actual, because I read that somewhere else, too. So that is an absolute. Oh, yeah, you could have read it somewhere else, but because I probably read it somewhere else, but it, it certainly yeah. wasn't a book. I, and, yeah, and that's what was, I thought. And it was factual. But, I mean, I, I loved Errol Flynn mm-hmm. as a boy, you know, as a young kid. And Robin Hood was a film I saw maybe a dozen times. Wow. Um, so, you know, for me, it was a delight because uh, going back to my childhood in a way, uh, growing up with these films and growing up and then being able to write about them, being, you know, you know, you have to be the master of your own material. And that's not always so simple. So the way I, I, I was able to do it was through Rusty, you know, to, to invent another character who was outside and could observe them 
and write about them and someone who was very interested in films. So that was, uh, you know, a novel. A novelist has to have a strategy. You have to have a point of view. Right. And it has to be like a kind of prism that looks into something with with a particular, you know, eye. And, and it was through Rusty's eye that I was able to recreate uh, uh, the Hollywood of, 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 of the 40s. And you sure did. It was, like yeah. I said, it, it really, it is fiction. Rusty is just a character you made up, but a fabulous character. And I read one of your reviews and someone said, I want the, I want a second book. And it is. I know. I, I've, I've been thinking about that, you know. But you know, Grace, that that's an interesting question. Okay, I have Rusty. Let's say the book. Let, let's let's play a game of chess. You know, the book is successful, and someone says, "I want a, another book about Rusty." Okay, well, where is Rusty going to be? What is she going to do? I mean, exactly. Is it's it going to be Rusty in Hollywood? Is it going to be Rusty as a private detective? It's not really going to interest me unless I can do something that's as original right. as Big Red. So, um, you, you know, success very often destroys as much as it helps. Yes. So um, I'm now doing a novel about Maria Callas because I fell in love with her. And I told my wife that uh, if, <laughs> if uh, I was going to divorce her and marry a dead woman. But <laughs> oh, my. She was at least able to laugh, you know, but, but because I really did fall in love with this woman that I didn't know anything about her. I'd heard about her, you know, while she was alive, but... I found her completely fascinating, so I had to learn all about operas. Again, it's you're you're always learning. That's the wonderful thing about about writing. It's it's discovering new things. You know, the world is completely you know open to you as you sort of take this adventure into another world. Which yeah. is reading, you know, for me as a reader, yes. I go into another world when I'm reading the book. I was in another world. I was with Orson along with Rusty and along with Rita. Well, that's what I want you to, if it works, I want to take you out of your life. You and to did. You this did. world is your world while you're reading it. Oh, 100%. Then, then the book is successful. That's what I want. I want the reader to... I wanted the reader to be heartbroken, you know, oh to my break God. the reader's heart yes. about Rita. Should we talk about that a little in. bit? Yeah. Without yeah, I didn't want to go into the final stages of her life right. because I thought that would have been too sad. And I just wanted to hint at her decline mm -hmm. and, um, and, and just leave it there. You know, you, you know, there's always a, you always know where to begin, but, it's very hard to know where to end. Yeah. Both people tell too much. Others tell little. You have to end at exactly the right point. Well, you got a lot of things in there, which I thought was wonderful. And and yes, you know, yeah. it, Barbara Leeming's book, if this is love or if this is, what is a book? The book that Barbara Leeming wrote about. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Call it happy. Ha yeah. This was the. The, the, the quote the from Orson Welles. Yeah. What a horrible she quote. She one about Orson Welles and one about Reader, too. Hmm. Well, I tell you. So. Through, I think it was called If This Is Happiness. Yes. Yes. I yeah. love that book. 
And, you you know, it broke your heart. So through Rusty's eyes, Rusty has so much compassion and love for Rita. And we see the sadness and the things going on in Rita's life through Rusty's eyes. And it is, it's heartbreaking because as a reader, I know that this is Rita. Rita really had that kind of life. She had that. And even 10 times that probably of her sadness and the way she was treated. I'm sure. I think I read this thing once that there were three gorgeous women on New Year's Eve. And I think Rita was one of them. And they, they didn't have dates. They went to a party, and it was the three of them there, and they were talking. I can't remember who the other two were. But it was uh, really interesting. And she was shy, and she she, the pictures of them, of Orson and Rita, they looked very much in love. But he was not always, like you said, he cheated on her. I didn't know he had all those affairs. I figured maybe, (laughs) how long were they together that he had all his affairs? Well, well, Legally, they were together for three years, but he had already moved out. And remember, he had already moved out, and she wanted to do a film with him. So it was through her success that that um, they made the lady from Shanghai. But I would say they were probably really together for two years. Oh, and wow. I think um, it was very foolish of him. Uh, but it's the male ego. You know, what What can you say about men? We're all bad, you know. Well, you look all... at you. You want to marry a dead Maria Callas. Shame on you. <laughs> poor... No, I want, to, I want to marry a dead Maria Callas because I know it's impossible. Right, so. exactly. I, that's why, you know, but, I have my crushes. I, I call them my dead dream boats, like Robert right. Mitchum and you know, all these yeah, guys. Robert great. <laughs> yes. He is a definite growl. Yes. And he was the first actor, the first actor, you know, who went to jail because of marijuana and, and survived it. He came back to, because there was such a demand for him. But poor Lila Leeds. Forget yeah. it. But she wasn't a big star anyway. She was just not big star. But she ended up having a tragic life. This is neither. Yeah. She became a, you know, like a high class call girl. Then she ran one uh, in yeah. Chicago anyway. Back to Rita. So Rita and Orson, I can't, Rita was happy for a certain point, and then she wasn't. I don't think he would be an easy fellow to live with, that's for sure. No, I, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think they could have stayed together. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, he could have been nicer to her. Um, and, uh, you know, in a way, I don't really forgive him. I, I love him. I love his films. But as a human being, he was not um, the nicest person in the world. And even at the end of his life, he was married to one woman uh, and lived with another woman. He split his life. You know, he lived in, in Europe part of the time and he lived in Las Vegas for the rest of the year. So um this is a kind of male prerogative, and it, it shouldn't be. You and know, imagine it, his girth. We just say, if a woman had his girth at the time, yeah. you know, forget it. You know, but here he is prancing around like a peacock, having all these babes after him. Of course, he, he, did, <laughs> he did die. At, you know, he died of a heart attack. I mean, he should, well, you know. If one steak wasn't enough for him, he had to eat 12. You Yikes. Know, so. Yeah. Well, well he, he got very heavy very quickly. Did yeah. He used to have to wear nose prosthetics. He didn't like well, his nose. he didn't like his nose. Right. He didn't like his 
No, it's, uh, in in certain films, you, for example, in the Third Man, you do see his nose, and that's one of his great performances. I don't know if you've seen that. I've film, seen it, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 there's this iconic shot when you first see him in in, uh, in the doorway, and he smiles. That's one of the great shots of, of all of cinema, you know. So, um, no, he didn't like his nose, so we'd always have false noses around but um he became a kind of ham but in one of his films called touch of evil where he plays whoa, whoa, i don't know that film of course i've seen tons, i've seen thousands of old movies yeah, yeah. He, he, he's he gives an incredible performance as hank quinlan he's evil yeah he's awful and it's one of the great performances really of all is. time and there is he wore, you know, 30 pounds of putty on his face, you know. So uh, it's, it's not entirely true that, you know, uh, a man in a masquerade is a man in a masquerade. But he became Hank Quinlan, you know. That's the brilliance. That's the brilliance of Brando as, as an actor, that he could assume any role and, and, and break your heart, you know. And I think that... Quinlan does the same thing. You have to be moved by what you see. I mean, to me, that's the only uh, barometer that, that I find. You can either laugh if you want, films can be funny, but you really have to be moved. And you're almost always moved, for example, when Marilyn Monroe is, uh. is on screen. You know, and, yeah. and when Brando was younger, you were also moved. And you were moved by Orson and Citizen Kane, even though... When he plays, you know, uh, you know, Kane, and he's a rotten man, but somehow you 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 feel for him. And there's that wonderful scene when he throws uh, his wife leaves him, and he throws all her belongings around in Xanadu in his castle, and he moves, you know, with the gait of a seventy-year-old man. And you, you, it's beautifully shot. Everything in that film is beautifully shot. You know, there's no other film like it. I don't care what anyone says. That that film is a total masterpiece. Yeah. I wonder, you know, for years it was number one on, you know. It's only because of forgetfulness. You know, people, if it's not number one now, it's only because, you know, people just don't have a memory anymore. You have to go back, you know, uh, a very long time to... Uh, to recall Citizen Kane, but I think it, it is it, it is the film out of which all of modern cinema comes. Yes, it was ahead of its time, and no, I don't believe it. Yeah. It wasn't a success at the box office, was it? Uh, it wasn't a success at the box office because Hearst, you know, uh, wouldn't allow. Oh, true. Show, uh, he wouldn't allow it advertised in any of his papers. So it did earn back its money, but uh, it disappeared, and you couldn't find a print for maybe 10, 15 years. But it resurfaced in the 50s, and of course, it also surfaced in Europe. And the European filmmakers said, what is this? They had never seen a film that was so spectacularly made, you know. So they revived it in Europe, and then it came back here, you know. Yes. In... uh it's your book, what what inspired you? Because after you'd said, I am not going to write about Orson, he's a pompous yeah. poop. 
What inspired you to just go, okay, were you going to do a biography of Orson or were you going to do a fiction? No, I wanted to do an, a, a novel about Orson. That's what I, and for months, that's what I, I, I you know, I, then I read all of these biographies and I said, hey, I cannot write. I could have done it in the third person. But I said, you know, I want to do it in his voice. And I said, I can't. He just lies too much. I mean, he just... You know, I, I don't. I wouldn't believe it myself. So then, I fell in love with Rita and, and the sadness of her. And I and Rusty Redburn just came to me, and then I had that first sentence. You know, and the rest was, I was history. Yeah, you know, once you have that first sentence, in a way, you have the book. You know, that's the secret. It was a dark and stormy <laughs> night. Then go on from there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Something like that. Um, yeah. You. I'm reading this quote you have. I never quite recovered from Citizen Kane. Its lyrical nightmare has haunted half of my life. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I've never seen a film of such brilliance and a film that was, uh, you know, and remember, I, not only did I watch it, I, I, I taught it as, as a teacher, so I analyzed every scene. Yes. And, Every scene has its own dimension. You know, uh, he had a tremendous cinematographer, Greg Tolan. And without Greg Tolan, he couldn't have made the film. You know, he had one weakness. He was not a very good writer. And he didn't know anything about film. So Greg Tolan taught him and he said, I want to do this. I want to do that. So um, if you watch, take it, any scene, the way it's shot, the point of view of every scene is absolutely brilliant and is different from every other scene. Well, I'm going to have to watch it again. You know, now you got me wanting yeah, to watch really it over should. again. I, I, want, I want to convert you. If, if I do nothing other I love that, the film, but it's not my faith. That I don't feel it. I don't know what's the best movie of all time, to be honest with you, if I have to think about well, it. Well, you know, we don't have to talk about the best film of all time. But That's I love it. I do enjoy the film. I like it a lot, but I do yeah, think but, but, I need to rewatch. Yeah. Yeah, and, and watch it, you know, for its individual scenes, and you'll see how incredibly well they're crafted. No other filmmaker would have been able to spend all that time to, you know, lay down a shot. You know, you, you have to prepare every shot. It takes, uh, you know, I've worked in television, and you can shoot in television, you know, maybe four minutes a day in, 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 in cinema, you, if you're lucky, if you can get 30 seconds, you know, because you have to set up every shot, it's, 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 it's incredibly difficult. And now television has taken over. So um, you now have, and also notice that, you know, great directors don't come out of television, you know. So um, it's a different world. It's a different universe. Ain't um, it the truth? It's very, it's a, so different. Yeah. Um, um, I want to ask you, so how, sure. he and Rita ended up having a child together, Rebecca. Right. Well, he was not a good father, was he? He was a dreadful father. Yeah. He was not only not a good father, he was an absent father. He really didn't have anything to do with his children. He didn't raise them. He didn't... Um, uh, 
he was a child himself, you have to remember. And it was all about him. He needed the attention and he couldn't give it to somebody else. He he couldn't give it, you know, to be a father, you have to give up something. You know, I am not a father. I I, I, uh, I, I do, you know, I had a a very disturbed childhood and it would have been very, very difficult for me to be a father. But so I can't speak from that point of view, but I would assume that a father would have to give up some of his persona to his child would, would have to be in a quote unselfish. And he was totally selfish. Yes, that's for sure. He was only involved with with himself. So, and Rita was not. And so Rita had her. Rita wanted to stay home. She didn't even want to be an actress. You know, she just wanted to stay home and be a housewife and raise children. And she couldn't, you know, she was just too successful, too wanted, too desired. You know? Yes. And also the people she married didn't have much money. I mean, she married Ali Khan. Uh, he, she married, she married after Khan, Orson. What, what, what people don't realize is that Ali Khan was really a pauper. He lived on allowance given to him by his father. So he didn't have any money of his own. Uh, and he stole money from her. You know, she brought $300,000 to that marriage and he took it all. So it's not. He was a gambler and a womanizer. He was a gambler and a womanizer and he didn't have Orson Welles' brilliance. So, no, so uh, that was, he was a three strikes you're out, bud. But his father was very fond of Rita. And she had her do- beautiful daughter. Um, yes. And and of course, it's, you know, you have to remember that when you're writing novels and they're historical, you have to meet with 17 lawyers and you're, you're told yes. what you can say and what you can say. And you can't speak about a living person and when you say something about dead, you know, so it's very, very difficult to maneuver when you're writing about a history that's close enough to our own time. Right. Where some of the people are living, you know. Right. So um, that is one of the disadvantages of, of, uh, of writing about historical figures, but I did the best I could. Oh, you did a great job. And then she married Dick Hames, who they, Hollywood used to call Mr. Evil. Originally, I had a chapter with Dick Hames, uh, who was nicknamed Mr. Death because everyone hated him, but I took it out because it really didn't, add to her and it didn't add to him but uh and yeah, i didn't didn't want to write about her decline yeah I mean, like that and and she had a final husband who was also not very nice i think yeah. two more husbands after him and yeah. she, but she was she did i think she she was only in one nominated film separate tables right yes yeah, so burt lancaster is another one of my dead dream boats yeah yeah. And so, so so you have that in common with my wife. I mean, she would love to have been married to Burt Lancaster. I swoon. But, I swoon. <laughs> I love Dana Andrews. Well, too. I don't swoon, but I, I did like him as an actor. But um, Did you know my, his nickname was Teeth? <laughs> no, but I had that beautiful him. smile. Yeah. No, he was, he was a, really a good actor. He was. You know what I just saw 12 Days in May? Wow. He did yeah. a great job in that. And it's very, yeah. t- to me, it's very much like today if you watch it. Another film you should see him in is Sweet Smell of Success. Oh, I loved him in that with Tony Curtis. Yes. Yeah. I've seen that film. He was yeah. wonderful. He also looked like my, my brother. <laughs> my brother looked like Burt Lancaster. Not quite as yeah. cute, but really he had that resemblance and that look. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, except he wore ugly. He, he wore glasses and they were like aviator, but they weren't stylish. He should got contacts. That's neither here nor there, everybody. Um, and then I, I just have to say, I read this horrible book about uh, this guy, uh, Franklin Jella. I don't know if I read the book or probably right. it was excerpted in Vanity Fair yeah. or something, a part of it. And he talks about Rita and he was really nasty. And now he knows that she... Um, you know, had Alzheimer's and she had early onset. She was see- she had, showing signs uh, very yeah, early she on. And, they she thought, early onset. Yeah. and my wife happened to be at a reading, which was in the apartment where Rita lived during her last years. It was on Central Park West. So uh, it wasn't the Dakota, right? No, I, it, maybe it wasn't the Coda. I think it, I, I think it probably was. I don't. I know. I know it was on Central Park West. I wasn't there myself. So, but she saw the room where, where Rita actually lived. But um, and her daughter is very much involved with uh, the Alzheimer's Foundation. You know, she's uh, done wonderful well. things. Yeah, she's done wonderful things, and. and um, it's very sad, but but if you, but her life itself was so sad. I mean, she was a professional at the age of twelve. She had With no her slime ball father, mm. yeah, awful, awful father. Her first husband was a pimp, so you know, it it um, you know. So no wonder, I, really, Orson was the dreamboat for her because the other ones were so horrid. Yeah, and also he never took he never took any money from her. He never stole from her. He he respected her as as a woman. Okay, he was a womanizer. So one, I'm not going to excuse that. It's something he shouldn't have done to her. But that's what you know. You have to remember the so-called golden age was a male society. You know, the producers dominate. You know, I mean, who was the director of Gone with the Wind? I mean, with David O. Selznick was the producer, but he was really, you know, it had seven directors. Victor Farming. But, Didn't he have George uh, Cook? How do you say? Cook? Yeah, he, he was fired, and Victor Fleming is the one who gets the. The credit for it, but right. he didn't really direct it. I mean, Cooker probably directed most of it, but he was fired. So um, it was a land of producers, and they were all men. And then, you know, and also film editors were mostly men, except for Viola Lawrence, who was a character, and I really love as a character. She was one of the first women film editors, and uh, she really. Um, changed Hollywood in, in, in her own way. I mean, she was the one who edited Gilda, and uh, and she she edited uh, several of, of Rita's films, and uh, she loved Rita, you know, so... Uh, I think she was lovable, you know, I really do. If she let you be close to her, I'm sure you, you saw her vulnerabilities. Did you think she was a good actress? I think she was a good actress in the right role. I think she needed to sort of make love to the camera, you know, because that's where she revealed herself. I mean, so um, Gilda was the perfect role for her, and she was very good in The Lady from Shanghai. But uh, I thought so as well. You know, the film itself was not successful, but uh, and she was very good in Separate Tables. She was. And, Did you ever um, see the page five, the story on page one or something? She, 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 and Gig Young are in this, and 
Sheila. I'm not sure I saw that one, but yeah. um, that was she was okay in that. She was she played a housewife in that, and um, you know I I thought she did fine. I'm I'm not a huge musical was, person. You know that she was a great dancer. She was yes. a great all of Hollywood dancers. As a matter of fact, Fred Astaire said after making two films with her, he wasn't going to dance with her again because she just was too damn good. You know? <laughs> she, she said she loved dancing with him. And um, she was beautiful. And it's so funny that you can put that out there, that that beauty and and charisma. I think maybe, maybe you need a male voice for that. I don't know. I, I don't want to be chauvinistic about it, but I, I'm, I'm wondering if a woman writing about her could reveal her beauty in the same... I, I don't know. I really don't know. But I think that... Um, I think um, my sort of um, feeling for Hollywood, you know, for its sensibility allowed me to sort of that landscape in a way as a kind of Aladdin's lamp and take the reader back into that world. I went there. uh, You did it. You did a great job. You got wonderful reviews. And it's it's a really great book. And I think we should wind this down. Um, Sure. You got he did. I'm going to link you up. Uh, with his right. page, with his author's page, because he has done amazing, amazing. Um, uh, he has a, an amazing library of books that he has written. And so sure. I'm going to bring you to his page and you guys can check that out as well. And I will link right. you to Big Red. And right. it is such, honestly, like I said, I wished I could have read it in one day because I was so into it. Um, I read most of it in one day. Then I finished it the second day. And I was That's there. I, I was, forgive you for that. I hmm? forgive you. I forgive you for that. Okay. <laughs> and I was transported, Jerome. I was transported because well, I love really that really era. Good. I love it all. I just, yeah. I think I lived in that time if there was reincarnation. I was, I was probably a dame or a tomato or one of those chicks, <laughs> you know, for one of those, you know, Roxy people or something. But exactly, yeah. Exactly. But um, this book is fabulous. Yeah. And Jerome, so you send me a link to the to the interview. Oh, you yeah. better believe it. Once this is out, yeah. I will send it to you and um, link you up. And it'll yeah. be. I'll put it out next week, and it'll be great. And I'm sure oh, everybody loves you because I do. And I would love to have you on again to talk about um, sure. classic Hollywood. And I love like film yeah. noir. You have all these things. So you, thank you so much for giving me your time. I love Big Red. I'm going to link you guys up with it. It really is a good read. I don't steer you wrong. It really is. You'll enjoy it a lot. And you'll be in those, you'll be with Orson and Rita. And Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you, Jerome. Stay well, Chris. Take care. Bye-bye. And I want to thank all of you who are listening. Jerome has left the building. And so um, I have a lot of good stuff coming up. I'm also going to do Tinseltown tidbits. I'll tell you more about it another time. Thank you, everybody, for listening. You the best. Love yas. Bye, everybody. Listen to the stories of Tinseltown. They're not only good, they're true. True stories.